Welcome to Waco Watch the Podcast. I am Joanna McCray and I am here with Winston Partners, Danielle Williams, and Mike Tomasulu. So today we are going to break down day two of the VLSI technology versus Intel trial. So Mike and Danielle, there were two witnesses um, that provided testimony today from plaintiff's side. There was an inventor as well as plaintiff's infringement expert. Could you give a breakdown of both, but starting with the inventor, what was the inventor's, the highlights of the inventor's um, testimony on direct examination? Hey, Duana, that, that's a great question. Thanks uh, for, for having us on the podcast. The inventor was, his name is Bearden, uh, and, and he pertains to the 373 patent. The testimony, you know, they sort of started off with the traditional approach of personalizing the, the witness. He likes scuba and as, astronomy, and he's setting up his own observatory. He was a likable, good testifier, a good explainer, if you will. He gives the background of the invention, talks about the apparent need then and now to achieve power saving on a microprocessor and at the same time have good performance, good speed. The microprocessor's performance, the key metric is speed. So he um, gave background of the invention and sort of explained what he was working on and what he's working on now. The, you know, and it, it was, it was, you know, he's a likable, good explainer of things. Ultimately, I think in the construct of this particular patent, though, th there wasn't a lot of meat that they could attach to that bone because this, this patent was something that he worked on for a short amount of time, a long time ago. And that's really what came out and crossed to some extent that this is a patent that it became a patent and then it sat on a shelf until it was transferred from one company to another company and ultimately to VLSI. And, and so that, that was, I guess the plaintiff's challenge is to try to say, well, why is this patent special? And they're sort of left with just using words to say it was special. They don't really have anything like a particularly successful product that they can anchor it to or him having any particular use for the patent today he really hadn't seen it in over 15 years he couldn't remember anything about it at his deposition mike when you saw him testify did you sort of get the sense from that eureka moment that we're always interested in hearing from the inventors the approach was pretty standard i'd say what was the problem how are other people doing it what did you decide to do and why and I think it was a, certainly, a, he's a likable guy. So it was a credible story. And I'm sure that the jurors liked that part of it. It wasn't sort of one of these things I've been working on my whole life type of thing. And, you know, I've been writing, I have, you know, noodles and lo loads and loads of thoughts of how I've tried to achieve this. And I'm then this happened and I went to my management and they, they stopped the presses and we, we changed the way we were doing business and that, you know, was a paradigm shift in the way everybody does it. It wasn't like that because those facts just aren't there for this particular patent. Well, it seemed like on cross-examination that the defense is carrying through with their themes about no one's using this particular invention from even from the inventor himself all the way through to uh, this trial. I mean, I think the cross-examination of him was reasonably successful in making that point. There were some other points that she made about how, as I mentioned, the you know he hadn't re reviewed the patent before his deposition. 
he couldn't really give any substantive testimony about his eureka moment or anything like that he, he just apparently was sort of a no-show for his deposition if you will at least according to this cross-examination what i think that they could have done more effectively is you know because they kept seeing how these problems persist today and that that's why intel would be using this because power conservation while at the same time achieving maximum performance in terms of speed is a problem today as it was then and so I think in the cross-examination, she could have driven it home a bit more. Like you say, this is still an important problem today, right? But you don't know if anybody's using this patent because you think it's too much work to figure that out. But if this was really a great solution, why aren't you telling people to use your patented technology to solve this persistent problem? You know, wh why isn't it the case that you know, you're, if you really believe you're sitting on a good solution in the form of this patent, why are you not proselytizing? Why are you not advocating for its use? So I think that she could have driven the, the message home in a more concrete way rather than just saying, you know, nobody uses the patent. But nevertheless, they've decided that that's a, a key theme. And I don't think anybody could possibly miss that, you know, there was some points scored there. One other thing that seems to be consistent from the first trial in front of Judge Albright. And this trial is the judge's comments to the witnesses on cross-examination that they need to answer the question that's asked. Correct, yeah, he he definitely is still requiring that, although there was a couple of instances where he didn't kind of jump right in, but by and large, he has been requiring that it, just as he did in the last case. And then one other procedural thing that seems like we're seeing consistency across the trials is uh, Judge Albright's preference to not hold witnesses over. So I know today we only got through two witnesses, but we at least started a third, and we'll talk about that witness tomorrow. But what was interesting is Judge Albright reminded everyone of his preference that we only get through the credentials and then leave the substance for the for the following day when the witness can get up and down in the same day on the substance use. Yeah, that's correct. The other thing that persisted from the first trial is that those seats are still very uncomfortable and I forgot to bring any booty cushions. Well, since the courtroom was sealed today for the lion's share of uh, Dr. Conti's uh, testimony, that would have been a good errand to run. So uh, do you think that the court has established a protocol for sealing the courtroom? I don't think trial judges like to seal the courtroom. And if I was to be speculating, I would think that the judge Albright would like to have not have to kick people out of his court. In the Roku trial, it was handled so that the documents that were shown were only shown to the jury and they weren't shown to the public facing audience, the people behind the bar. And Intel said that wasn't going to be good enough because they didn't want numbers read or the words were deemed to be confidential enough that they need to kick everybody out. I don't see how that doesn't continue to be the case in the damages case. I think there this isn't something that was teed up in advance before the trial, and I don't know if it's something that's in his OGP. Like in some some cases in the Northern District of California, a lot of that is addressed really right at the outset about how things are just not, you're not going to be able to seal the courtroom except for the very rarest of circumstances. So we may I, never I, know how much this case is worth. 
good point. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, so we'll, we'll find out tomorrow, I guess. I did not get a good sense of how effective Dr. Conti's testimony was. We could hear him talk about the patents. And again, I think that because there's not really any meat on the bone of these patents in terms of them having a story separate and independent of the fact that they're patents, they, they weren't attached to any special projects or anything, you know, that, that has some kind of a sexy invention story that continues to have interest today. At least not that I've heard his recitation of the facts was kind of formulaic. There's a piece of prior art that Intel is relying on called Project Yona. I kept thinking it was Project Yoda, but then that, that made me think that what Dr. Conti was saying was kind of like, you know, good patents, these are many problems they solved. Unconventional was the approach the inventors took. And that's kind of probably not the best thing to say, but that's really what made me, when I was hearing it, it was so formulaic. It's what it came to mind. It may very well reach the jury and maybe it's the best they could do, but because he said the same thing with respect to both patents realistically minutes apart. And did the inventors take a conventional approach? No, they didn't. What was the conventional approach? Conventional approach was A, B, and C. And what did the inventors do? Something different. And was it a success? Big success. But ultimately, those are the points that you're, you're trying to get the jury to understand. But whether you say it in such a rote way, if that's effective, I don't know. But he's certainly a composed witness and didn't seem to wither under cross-examination. Okay, so Mike, I heard that there were some fireworks about Dr. Conti's testimony being reversed by the Federal Circuit. Could you talk about that? Um, yes, I absolutely can. Not to make a long story endless, but Bill Lee asked Dr. Conti and made a point that he'd been retained by IRL and Manila in the past. And after some back and forth, ultimately, Bill, in a re recross examination, was able to you know, point to the federal circuit, reversing Dr. Conti's infringement theories and doing that in the context of, of, a, of a different case, a case where Bill Lee had been representing Apple. And it was an interesting thing. You don't normally get into that level of detail. And, you know, I, I don't know whether that Bill Lee will be able to put up the words of the federal circuit on a slide during closing. But I think to the extent that IRL wanted to get into this and then the judge was very clear that, you know, if they wanted to talk about anything at all, that Bill could say whatever he wanted, and he sure did. So it'll be interesting to see how, whether that's something that, that resonated with the jurors, whether they get it. Um, but it, it was, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of a little bit uh, unconventional, I would say. Yeah, so it would be interesting, like you said, to see how the jury took it and whether or not it resonated with them. Danielle and Mike, are there any other key takeaways from day two of the trial? Remember your seat cushions. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Danielle. And to the listeners, um, please tune in tomorrow to hear about day three of the VLSI technology versus Intel trial. Thank you, everyone.